Optophobia, the fear of opening one's eyes. This podcast is dedicated to encouraging you, our listeners, to move beyond that fear, to solve riddles they don't want us to unriddle, to investigate supposedly ironclad truths, to unearth evidence buried for so long they believed it would stay buried. Season 1. A Cold War-era military base in the Horn of Africa called Cagnew Station. For years, there was an official story about a U.S. intelligence project at Cagnew, codenamed Stonehouse. The project included a pair of 15-story parabolic antennas that the American government claimed was simply part of a powerful radio communications operation. But as the space race with the Soviet Union intensified, that cover story looked increasingly flimsy. By the 1970s, civil war forced the U.S. from Ethiopia, and Cagnew Station closed for good. Or did it? What was Stonehouse, really? What happened at Cagnew Station between 1974 and 1991 when violence and war gave perfect cover to any shadowy agency, organization, or cabal seeking it? This season on Optophobia, we'll track down the distortions, the assumptions, the omissions. Are you bored by the lies? Open your eyes. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Marshall Erickson. Think about a day in your life and then estimate how many of the tools that you use in that day are electronic. Maybe you start the day with an electric toothbrush, move on to your coffee maker. Maybe you set your home alarm before you leave for work. Before you even get out the door, you've used maybe half a dozen electronics. But what if you weren't really controlling those machines? What if the government had figured out a way to make you think you were brushing your own teeth, but it was really brushing your teeth for you? We're going to ask our guest today about all of that in a minute. But first, I mentioned last week that I was going to do some digging into this new theory from an optophobia listener that the Stonehouse antennas were built to disturb the ionosphere, the part of the Earth's atmosphere that reflects radio waves, and then measure that disturbance. I was curious why the U.S. Army Security Agency in the 1960s would want to measure disturbances in the ionosphere. So I went to the National Archives in Maryland and found a declassified document that suggests, I won't say proves, but that suggests that this has something to do with the Polaris SLBM program, which is the submarine-launched ballistic missiles that were prevalent in the Cold War in the Indian Ocean. I have no idea how disturbing the ionosphere helps with submarine communications, but I'll go back to the archives this week to see if I can find anything more. If any optophobes have tips or Stonehouse research suggestions along those lines, please send us a note. I am here with my regular co-host, Hassan Gray, a sales analyst for Fios by Verizon. Fios by by Horizon. Verizon. Verizon. Yeah. You got to get that right. They'll come after me. Verizon. Yeah. It's not hard to say. I don't know why I'm struggling. Verizon Fios. Verizon. Yeah. For listeners who've never heard of Verizon, 
Fios. It's a bundled internet access. Yeah. Telephone, television service that operates over fiber optic communications. That's right. It's light speed. And it's also light. Five million customers. You have five million customers. Well, yeah. Which your data in nine states. Yeah, f- five million customers in nine states. Which That's are, a lot. Yeah, so it's a lot. Um, we're also branching out, um, trying to get ten states. Our goal, I think, by the end of the year is one state a month. So that's why we're trying to grow one state a month. Do you know what state is next on the... Yes, I do. Um, We are going after Oklahoma. Not many people there actually have access to high-speed internet. And so this would be like if you brought someone from say like uh canada into the u.s holy crap now their life they're like oh this is the future because in canada they don't really have they have all old stuff in canada yeah so if you bring someone from canada to the future that's what we're doing oklahoma is now going to be brought into the future and now they're going to understand what the rest of the world sees they don't have to rely on their like a twist tube tv boxes that they got over there when you guys expand to a new state what does that do for your podcast? Mm-hmm. Not my problem by uh, a Does that mean you can expand grant. into, or how does that work? Do you um, get more listeners in Oklahoma? Um, when it comes to Verizon Fios expanding to a new state and getting millions of more customers, it has had, so far, no impact to my podcast whatsoever. Um, now, that's not to say that no one likes my podcast. I think it's more of like they don't know how to access it. Even though I do a lot of advertising when I do house installs, I tell them all about my podcast and I, you should see the people's faces. They're like super into it. They're super excited. They want to know the info, but no one's listening. I'm not sure why. Cause the, your customers are also the, they're the foundation of what you talk about on your podcast. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I would assume some of them would be, um, tuning in. I mean, I've begun to stop hiding people's names when I talk about stories of like customers. I've begun to just name them and their address in hopes that someone will then contact me and say, I heard you talk about me on your podcast right? and you gave up my address over the airwaves. No one's done that so far. So um, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to have to start using some more personal identifiable uh, information. We're definitely trying to promote it as much as possible on this podcast too. Yeah. This, this podcast too, when I think about um, all the infrastructure you have behind this. I thought this would help my podcast as well. It has done nothing. Nothing so nothing, far. No. Well, what else is up? I think uh, last time we talked about my cell phones. Yeah. I, I think I, I told you I got rid of my cell phones. Right. Well, I had to get them back. You seem to really believe in that. Yeah, I did want to get off my cell phone so the government couldn't track me because that's, as we all know, that's what's really happening over at Cagnew. But I realized how much more difficult my life became. Uh, like no one else is using like pen and paper yeah. type stuff to, to, and I found myself like having to carry this notebook around of like what am I supposed to be doing today right and I'm like well I used to just have a phone that then I could then contact people with so like having to go make a call or like write an email I gotta go to like a public cause yeah, I don't have library. To, yeah I gotta go to a library and there's always vagrants in the library yep. you know masturbating mm-hmm. right at the front desk and I'm not I'm not I can't. I can't be bothered with that. So I, I always. I wondered last week. I thought of this later. How Kimberly gets in touch with you when if you don't have a phone? Um. Well, here's the thing about Kimberly. Um, with the restraining order that has now been renewed for a the first one or the second the second one, and it's now been renewed for another six months. So thank you, uh, Myrtle Beach County uh, Municipal Court System, for that one. With that, she actually doesn't want me to contact her. So this works out great for her, but I still am going to be in contact with her because she is one day going to be the future of 
mother of my children, mm-hmm. um, even if she doesn't know it. So I don't care about court order and all that stuff. Right. I'm trading off. The government knows where I am, right? But now I know where Kimberly is. Perfect. I'm, I'm essentially doing uh, a bit of big brother and myself, but mine's done out of love. Right. The government's definitely not no, doing that out no, of love. No, not at all. They don't, they don't, they're not trying to protect anyone. Well, as always, if you're new to the Cagnew Station story and you want some of the background, you can listen to our first episode or go to optophobia.org for context. Unfortunately, the guest that we had scheduled for this week, Chaz Scropter, who works in the fuel yard at an Abyssonia, Pennsylvania power plant, uh, had to cancel. As we mentioned last week, Chaz argues that the Stonehouse antennas were built in 1965 to clone Winston Churchill and Stan Laurel, Mm -hmm. who had somewhat suspiciously, I think, both just fallen into stroke-induced comas that year. So Chaz has a regular YouTube show where he gets into the very nitty-gritty details about that story and apparently when google found out that we had scheduled him as a guest they threatened to cancel his contract he was actually very afraid so he called and said i can't do it because google actually is after me yeah that makes sense google you don't mess around with google yeah because google has power over everything we may never get to talk to Chaz about that Stan Laurel, Winston Churchill theory, but you know we can go to his YouTube channel and listen to it there. Wavelength communication, WC, Winston Churchill. Oh, you put it together. Oh man, yeah. See, it would have been interesting. Yeah, see, if he was on, we could have gone into the weeds on this. Thoughts and prayers to Chaz. Yeah, thoughts and prayers. Yeah. In a way, not having Chaz here is great for us because we have an amazing, an amazing guest this week, Dan Hammer who, as I alluded to at the top of the show, is a world-class expert on Cagnew Station and how projects there created the electronic universe that we live in today. So, Dan, welcome to Optophobia. Thank you so much for having me, Marshall. It means a lot. This is, uh, I got to be honest, this is a bit of an intimidating uh, setup you got here. Oh, no. Please feel comfortable. I mean, you're, you're, we're honored to have you. It's, no, I feel the honor. It's just there's a lot of, like, flashing lights beeps and boops going on right here and that's that's when you know it's you're being listened to well yeah controlled it's also the microphone yeah it's also the microphone it's a recording studio so you are being listened to i didn't think about them that's okay though it's okay our our, uh i was really mainly concerned with all the flashing lights but uh yeah i didn't know yeah i'll turn these down i'll also close these cabinet doors that would mean a lot to me thank you thanks thank you thank you so much those are closed how do you pronounce your name hey Hassan. You're putting too much on the A. It's Hassan. Heston. Heston. Hassan Gray. I'll forget it. I'll get it at some point. Okay. So, Dan, before we get to your Cagney research, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, where you're from? Sure. My name is Dan Hammer. I'm from upstate New York, where I have lived my entire life. I currently live at home. With my mom in what can be described as a very small house. Uh, join the club. You live at home too? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I live at home. Um, me and my mom, we like to say that we're still a family house. <laughs> oh, that's nice. That's nice. I like it because uh, I don't pay for anything. Oh, okay. Well, that's different than my situation. I, I do pay half the rent. Oh, okay. No, I can't. So I'm, I'm currently, my employment status is unemployed. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm what you call an unemployed actor. 
uh, I've worked a couple of oh, different. You're an actor. You're an actor. Yeah. Well, I'd like to be an actor. I think. Uh, so I know you're just a person then. I guess when you really break it down, if an actor is not working, he's just playing the part of himself, which is a person. So, yeah, I guess that's right. Which, I mean, if you think about actors, that's the one role they don't want to play, right? The part of yourself. It's, you're, it's the most terrifying. Yeah. Sometimes that's why they become an actor. Yeah, because they're terrified of just looking themselves in the mirror. Yeah, I don't have any mirrors in my house for that reason. Yeah, it makes sense. Dan, was there a, a moment in your life when you realized that you wanted to act? Do you remember a, something in your childhood or a movie you saw or a play or anything like that probably when i saw the movie home alone and i watched that movie and i said i could do that that doesn't look that hard which part in particular were you it's the part where he's looking at the mirror and he's screaming at himself like i was like well i could just do that that seemed pretty easy right yeah i do that every day yeah and the, you know i was a child at the time and i was like i could you know move out of the way macaulay culkin sign me up for home alone seven or whatever it is yeah i could do it but they got a lot of McCulkins or whatever they are, so they just bang them out. That's a dime a dozen. But anyway, I thought, I was like, this seems pretty easy. So, you know, my mom got me signed up with a local community theater. I got some parts there, you know, doing like some Dickinson stuff like that. Huh. I'm surprised that community theater didn't lead more. Yeah, you know, I've only been involved in one community theater, and I have to say no one has succeeded outside the theater. They all pretty much stay involved in the theater and get other jobs. Yeah, uh, in the theater. Or, you know, around the community, too. They get jobs yeah. there. And they, I mean, it sounds like that's kind of the role of a community theater. It's sort of like a little family. You switch roles. You I, switch. Wish someone, I wish someone had told me that. Yeah. Part of the role of being in a theater is, you know, you, you, you do different kind of roles, not just acting-wise. You do tech work. You do directing. And I got to the point where I was doing a lot of casting, too, which was working pretty well for me. Because then you probably put yourself in some of the That's shows. That's right. That's yep. exactly right. I thought so. Because I could cast myself on my own shows. So no one can say no to you then. Yeah, that was the easiest way to get cast is to cast and put up your own shows. Don't, you don't have to talk to me. I put up my own podcast so no one can tell me to be quiet. You know, I'm I'm now the ringleader of my own podcast. No one's listening, but I'm 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 running the show. What's the name of that podcast, Hestian? No, it's Hassan. And um, the name of the podcast is Not My Problem. Not My Problem. It's the Not My Problem podcast where uh, me and other uh, Verizon Fios technicians talk about some of the customer calls we get about problems that aren't my problem. Okay. Yeah. Can I just like go somewhere and listen to you do that? It's on um, Stitcher Premium. It's on regular Stitcher. It's on Apple iTunes. Uh, it's on the podcast app. You can find it anywhere you listen to a podcast. It's on I YouTube. I don't know what those are. It's on uh, SoundCloud. It's, 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 it's everywhere. I've saturated every audio platform you can think of. I've even emailed out uh, MP3 files every week that a podcast comes out to my entire, the entire customer, 5 million customer base. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. You're using a lot of mechanisms that, to be honest, I would never touch at all because, you know, they're monitored. Okay. So um, where, are you, um, where are you living right now again? My mom's house. Yeah, but I'm saying where geographically is that located? Upstate New Upstate York. New York. So you're in a prime like state for acting. Why not venture not, out to the not city? Not the part of the state that I'm in. I know. Not so I'm saying why don't you try and relocate? Well, that's going to require to get in a car. Or any kind of mode of transportation to go down to New York City, which is like the tech capital of the world. Yeah, outside of like Silicon Valley. Never heard of those places. Palo Alto? What is that? Is that a word? Palo Alto? Yeah, that's a word. That's a, that's like where... Sounds like a food. Facebook was started and stuff. It's like, it's just... It's open. Everything's okay. going. It's just... Imagine, imagine you were talking to a man who has lived inside a hole that has had a bolter in front of it. 
for like 20 years. Oh, that's like Jesus, but longer. Because Jesus died. And then 33. Put, 33. Yeah, he was put in a hole. And three days later, they moved that boulder. And he was gone. Yeah. Which I would be too, because if I'm putting a hole, I'm scared of the dark. So I'm going to look for, I'm going to start going in this tunnel. I'm going to see, is there a way out on the other side? You give me three days, of course I'm going to be gone. I was going to stay in there for three days. Let's take a, a quick break and um, we'll come back uh, with Dan and ask about his Cagney research. We'll be right back. Hey, optophobes. If you're a regular listener, you may have heard that last week I had to fade out from our sponsor copy. Podcasting is filled with all sorts of strict, time-based rules and regulations that we're still figuring out. So you might think that our main sponsor, Spikenard Monocled Cobrasolve, was angry that they didn't get their full money's worth for that ad. Well, you'd be right about them being angry, but you'd be wrong about why. So SMCS is less a sponsor of Optophobia than it is a product with no official relationship to Optophobia. We just thought we'd start doing ads for it, and they'd like the ads and would start giving us money to continue doing them. They did not like the ads. In fact, they did not like them very strongly, using words like cease and desist and litigation and dangerous and idiot. So here goes. Spikenard monocled Cobrasolve. Don't touch it. It's flammable and hazardous. Okay, we're back with Dan Hammer. So far, we've talked a lot about your acting career. I'm really interested in the stream of CAGNU research that you have really pioneered, this idea of electronics and how CAGNU was really the foundational place where a lot of this uh, government interaction with our daily lives as consumers of electronics started. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about how you first got interested in that. Okay. Yeah, I just, from a very young age, I kind of started to realize that anything terrible that happened to me that took my life in a direction that I didn't expect or want there was a common denominator of electronics. And the human brain is wired to look for patterns in life. And that's the pattern that I found that I knew that it couldn't just be a coincidence. Like, for example, one of the first auditions I went on was for Oliver, and I was singing. I was beautiful. I'm a beautiful singer. And the lights, Oh, could you give us some of that then? Just a little taste. Sure, sure, sure. Just one or two lines. Danny boy. Oh, my. The pipes, the pipes singing. That's a little bit. No, that that, that was lovely. Beautiful. That was wonderful. And that's what I said. But the lights on stage slowly went down and the audio went out and I just heard a goodbye. And I was like, something's wrong. You heard a goodbye from the audience? Yeah, the casting directors and the director and producer and my parents were out there. And they, they all said goodbye. They said goodbye. Thank you. Next. Your parents too? Yeah, my parents. They were at the audition. Was this an audition? Was you know in the community theater people sit out in the audience yeah. and go on stage because it's just a small community theater. Okay, my so they're all sitting. Up. Yeah, my parents had driven me there because I was just a child I couldn't drive, but my parents said, "Yeah, get that kid off stage." That is rough. Yeah, it's a little rough. But anyway, the thing that I noticed was that the lights went down and the audio went off. I'm sorry, it's a hard memory. That all went off, and I said, "There's got to be something going on here." 
I gotta look into this. So I went down to the library and I started doing some research and I found a book on WW2. Mm-hmm. And that's when that's when I found out about the Cagno station. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And I started, you know, putting two and two together. So in little Dan's mind, that moment that was that obviously was very traumatic and jarring as a kid, the fact that this theater went dark, that is what childhood you blamed that trauma on, right? That's right. The darkness, not on the adults in the room who wanted to get you off stage. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, another thing that happened at auditions, I mean, that the lights and the audio didn't go off for anyone else. Mm. So it just went down. Just went down for you. Audio goes off. Mm. People say that. And then someone comes on stage and the lights come back on. Audio comes back on someone else auditions. Mm. But it didn't happen for anyone else. So later you you, you learn about Cagnew mm-hmm. from a book. And then how do you make the connection between that kind of electronic trauma that you went through when you were a kid and the broader story of what had begun at Cagnew in terms of this control of electronics for all of us, not just for you in a theater in upstate New York? Well, it felt like there was a lot of electronic research being done there, a lot of experimental stuff. Mm. I started talking to some people at the library about it. If they knew anything about it, if they'd heard anything. And they said, eh, there's, you know, not everything you read is exactly what's happening. And so I started researching about, you know, these big, you know, antennas, big pieces of electronics equipment and what it can really do and it's like we're at the point where it's like we don't even know everything that it could be doing yeah. but we what we do know is the government is always like three steps ahead of us yeah and then why is that because they know where we are because they're tracking us through a station right so of course they're gonna be three steps ahead you know my gps location so of course you're gonna see that i'm walking this way so you're gonna plant yourself three steps ahead of me and be right around the corner because that, that's what's happening there all these electronic devices they're pinpointing us that's right okay so I'm, I'm glad that we, we've had you on this week because you get it. You understand. I know you've had some trauma in your life with your acting, but you understand what is actually happening at Cagnew. And their whole goal is to disrupt society, right? It's disrupt culture. It's disrupt culture. Yeah. They don't want to keep people on the path that they're meant to go on nope. to achieve everything that they nope. could achieve. They want to disrupt you and then set you off on a tangent where you're like, I have this goal in mind that's going to get me here, right? But, uh-oh. Here comes the government putting a little, planting a little seed in your mind. Next, you know, why am I stuck at the community theater? Why have I not gotten out of this small community that doesn't seem to be going anywhere trying to challenge itself? Hmm. You know, it's like, so you were aiming for stardom as an actor, exactly. right? Of course. But here you are just stuck in this community theater world. And it's like, you, you were on a trajectory. Boom, you got disrailed electronically. Lights went out, literally on your future. Exactly, because that's the only way they can control me, because they couldn't control my talent. They couldn't control my trajectory, where I was going to go. Can we hear that song one more time? Sure, 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 sure. Oh, tiny boy, no lies, no lies. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. See, you're uh, going to tell me. Stunning. This person's ready to be well, uh, the next... Uh, uh, Macaulay Culkin. Macaulay Culkin. Fingers yeah. crossed. Of course they're going to disrupt you. It benefits the government to disrupt people from succeeding. They have a feeling. They know when talent is coming up from a very early age. So they use all these devices. And what better way to do it in an offshore place Mm -hmm. that's not going to be investigated by anyone? Yeah, who's going to go to Cagnew Station and really check it out? Everyone thinks it's closed up. 
So the idea behind this research originally was to control the electronics across, is it just the American landscape? Oh, it's everything. So they figure out a way to control the electronic landscape for all of us as a way to kind of put hurdles in front of us in our lives Mm -hmm. wherever they can Mm -hmm. in order to make us more docile and controllable. Mm -hmm. So it's really a matter of frustration, collective frustration. Yeah, my whole life has been frustration. One moment after another, just being put down, just failing. And like I said, the pattern, the common denominator there is a failing electronic device. Can, can I ask you, um, so you've had, you talked about the the play where your parents were there. Mm-hmm. Can you give us one that's more recent? What was your rock bottom? I gotta say, my rock bottom moment was, for a while I, I met a woman in the theater and we started dating, and it was going very well. This was in my 20s. Mm-hmm. Uh, we bought a house together. Things were going very well. She was a very successful lawyer. Mm-hmm. And I was I was feeling like, you this know, is now this is the one. Yeah. This is the moment. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, uh, yeah, I know. I'm going to propose. That whole gonna, thing. It's, yep. you know, sail off into the distance. This is what I want. Mm-hmm. And I come home from the theater one day, and the car is gone. And I go into the house. Everything that she owned is gone. There is a letter on the table that said a bunch of things. I didn't really read it. Mm-hmm. But the car was gone. So it, the, it was her electronics that were gone? In her the electronics everything? and everything else that she knew and she owned, which was pretty much everything because she paid for most of the stuff that we had. But the thing that stuck out to me was the car was gone. So I'm thinking the only thing that could have happened was she got in the car, Mm -hmm. the government activated their device. And there we go. And then the car drove wherever they wanted to take her, you know, over a hill or something like that, off a bridge or something, I don't know. Yeah. What, um, you said this was in your 20s? Yeah, I was 22. Because, um, because you are 30, what, right now? 37. 37. So, I remember 11 years ago, there was a a story of a woman who was found in the trunk of her car um, off a cliff in upstate New York. Huh. All the electronics that she owned were in the car with her. None of her possessions, they were actually found in a pile burn later, um, but she was found in the trunk of her car and had been driven off a cliff. And the license plate said D-A-N-Y-B-Y, Danny Boy. I remember that story, and the thing that I remember most about it now is that they never found the person who did that to her. Yeah. Right? No. That's they never found yeah, it. I saw it on um, um, this other podcast I listened to called Last Podcast on the Left. They oh, talked okay. about um, the, uh, the trunk, the trunk, the upstate trunk killer. Oh, wow. That's a pretty cool they, name. They never, they never caught this guy. The last place said Danny Boy. And uh, she was just covered in electronics. I mean, some of the electronics, like, weren't even hers because there was, like, toaster, which I guess is technically electronic. It's definitely electronic. Absolutely. Yeah, but, I mean, it's not like an electronic. Like, you're thinking, like, a tracking device. It's not a smart electronic. But the government can control that, too. I mean, the amount of times I burned toast and there was no way that it was my fault. You don't have to tell me. I know that um, toasters are government-controlled. You ever seen a commercial for a toaster? Nope. Why do you have one? They're just part of life. Part of what? How, how did that get into your brain? That you had to toast your bread? Who told you that? You've never seen a commercial for it? You've never had any reason to buy a toaster before? But we all own one. That's the government's working right there. Dan, what was your uh, girlfriend's name? Her name was Tracy. Tr- you said that Tracy was a lawyer. Yeah, she was a very successful lawyer. 
time. Did she do any work for the government? Yeah, she did a couple of cases for the government. You know, whenever I would ask her about what she did specifically, what kind of law she practiced, she would just kind of rattle off some stuff about, oh, I got to work. You know, I got to work, you know, in the government sector. I got to protect some people, some important people. The name of the girl they found, they traced her her uh, dental records because uh, her face was actually mangled. You ever take it, little strings out of like a cassette player? And, yeah. Like, that's what her face looked like. Like someone just pulled the strings out of a cassette player. Yeah, it's easy to do. Easy to pull those out of the cassette theater. It's pretty. Her name was Tracy too. Like the woman that found. Is that right? Her name was Tracy and she had her government ID. Uh, and uh, a lot of her lawyer uh, briefings and whatnot were in the, uh, in the car with her. So that's interesting. Danny never looked into this. It seems like the UTK killer is a convenient story, and this maybe had some more nefarious. To be honest, origin. possibly. I, I didn't really make the connection until now, mm-hmm. but I have kept all of the clippings that they've ever done on that particular killer and any related crime because I just, now I, I like seeing the name. Because I, I do the same it thing. It makes me feel good. I do the same thing with things that I'm interested <laughs> things that I'm interested in. I keep all the clippings. Now, I used to keep it in a binder. I was like, I can't see all these clippings. So I put them up on a whole wall where I like put them up with like a little yeah, pin. Of course. Pin. So I got a whole uh, second bedroom in my house that's just push pins about Cagnew mm-hmm. and like Verizon Wireless and like what the government's doing to track us. And I got a bunch of like red yarn from one picture to the other that's sure. making connections. How do you connect them? Yeah. And you don't really need good lighting in there. Just maybe just like a stand up with one light bulb, you know, a lamp that doesn't have a shade on it. You know what's in there, so it's like... Yeah, I know what's in there. I don't need to... And I, I know what's going on, and I know how to read it. You know, it's it's made for me. So is that what you're doing? You Absolutely, guys, yeah. yeah I mean, they, you know, I, I live with my mom. So, Dan, unfortunately, we've come to the end of our time, but I, I have one more question for you before we go. As somebody who studied this specific piece of the Cagnew system, what's your gut feeling tell you about what the ultimate result of this kind of control over devices that emanated originally from Cagnew. I think it's going to end up with the status quo staying in place because usually what happens is talent, intelligent people, innovators, they rise to the top. But this device in the government is just constantly bringing it down. So I think what we'll see is just the same people one after another their children, their children's children, their children's 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 Mm -hmm. children running everything until one person rises to the top Mm -hmm. and slowly kills all of them one by one. Wow. That's a frightening vision for the future. But more accurate, it could not be. It is. It is. But I mean, it's where we're heading, right? Well, I want to thank our guest this week, Dan Hammer. Uh, very eye-opening. Holy crap, I just realized something. They found a bloodied hammer inside her skull. I'm sorry, keep going. That was one of yeah, the Yeah, that details. was one of the details in the crime. They found a hammer. You got to be very, very strong. You got to be very, very strong to do that. It's just something to keep in mind. Well, thank you to my co-host this week, Son Gray. He's the host of Not My Problem. Well, you can find that anywhere. You can find it literally anywhere you might think of to listen to a podcast okay well look for it because it's great every two weeks it's out Mm -hmm. next week we will be talking to uh cheryl chang she's a butcher from swink colorado who believes stonehouse was the very first artificial intelligence project 
On her Tumblr, Cheryl has written that Cagnew Station staff lost control of the Stonehouse project, and the two mammoth antennas began to talk to each other and plot against their creators. Mm. Possibly, possibly, starting the civil war in Ethiopia that forced the eventual abandonment of Cagnew. So we'll hear about that. Thank you for listening to Optophobia. I'm Marshall Erickson, and I'll leave you with this. A man who does not travel is like the bow that knows not where the arrow lands. Dan, maybe you can sing us out today. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Marshall. Hastian, it's been a real pleasure. Hassan. Oh, boy, the light, the Thank you to Reeves McElveen, who played Dan Hammer. Reeves performs with his improv teams Nixon and Colossus at various improv theaters in Washington, D.C. Jamal Newman played Hassan Gray. Jamal performs with Lena Dunham and Nixon. You can follow him on Instagram and Twitter at at HelloNewman and find him at JamalNewman.com. If you've got theories about what was really going on at Cagnew Station, we'd like to hear them. You can find us on our website, optophobia.org, or on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at at optophobes. And please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Optophobia was produced by Tim Townsend. Music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Cover art by Claire Smalley. Website by Chance Griffin. Thanks for listening. Until next week... Keep them open.